And before we get into the talking points, one thing we want to show you is a race that took place at Newbury on Friday. It involved a somewhat uh, controversial finish. Macram held off calling the win. There was a Stewart's inquiry after the race. Uh, Macram in the blue with James Doyle calling the win just in behind the horse with a white face. Uh, and of course, given the way things are unfolding in terms of stewarding at the moment, there's a great deal of uncertainty. And in fact, that's something that the trainer of the winner, uh, Macram, Roger Charlton, mentioned after when he spoke to Racing TV, perhaps highlighting how difficult things are to ascertain for punters, stewards and officials at the moment. The stewards probably had a better view than I did. I just thought it, I was surprised there was a stewards inquiry. I'm particularly surprised it took them 15 minutes to reach a conclusion over what looked a very slight issue. I'm a bit concerned that stewarding seems to have changed in direction a bit now without anybody really being notified. We've had several incidents, Foss last, there were two, Goodwood was another pretty outrageous decision, I thought. Um, I think that, you know, the punters need to know about what's going on. I mean, okay, Macram was favourite, but if he'd been thrown out there, there a whole lot of punters out there are going to start losing confidence in the system. That means the stewarding as well. So I think they need to clarify things a bit. I think if there'd been a fault there and I haven't seen a thing, then, you know, the jockey can get penalised, but actually to throw that horse out or to contemplate throwing it out seemed to me to be a pretty strong strong opinion um, but you know maybe I'm wrong maybe they've all they say they're consistent they say that uh, they haven't changed the rules and regulations but I think the important thing is that the people that support our racing are, are confident about what the rules are and what's going to happen I mean if you exaggerate it and you throw a horse out every every second day it's not doing anybody any favors and I must say in the current climate both myself and my guest pundit today, Martin Dixon, when the klaxon went and the inquiry was announced, we looked at each other and said, well... What was that about? Now, yeah, A, and B, now, I'm not sure how this is going to play out, given yeah. what happened at yeah, Goodwood and exactly. given what happened at Foss Last. Yeah. And if we yeah. are saying that, what are race goers, race fans and punters saying? Yeah, I mean, we, we lost a race at Foss Last. I have to say, the horse was hanging left all the way. Trevor Whelan pulled him out, and then he was sort of upsides, and then as he was hitting the front, he lugged left. And I think, although Betfair were suggesting it was five to one on that we kept the race, um, so the professionals thought we were gonna keep the race. When I say professionals, professional punters thought we were gonna keep the race. And, and, you know, we lost it and, and I, you know, took it on the chin and I thought, well, it's marginal, it's, you know, 50-50, whatever, and I could understand that. But I couldn't understand this one, I have to say. And that seems to be the major issue, understanding, because of perhaps inconsistencies. Roger Charlton actually says the rules or the directive, perhaps, seem to have changed uh, when it comes to stewarding in recent times. What are your thoughts, Dave? I'm not sure I really need to add much to what Roger said. I thought he made the case. You're going to have to. You've I've got, got one minute. 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 Uncertainty is <laughs> the word, isn't it? We're told there is no change in policy. We're, we're told there have been, but there has to be. The incidents at Foss last, the incident at Goodwood, those horses would not have been disqualified this time last year. And all of a sudden they were. That race there at Newbury, I didn't watch that for a second, I think. Here comes a Stewart's inquiry. 
And then I watched the head on and I thought that's the sort of incident that stewards used to have a look at first, decide should we have an inquiry? No, we're, there's nothing there. It felt like that. And there's this uncertainty now coming into the sport. I mean, there's some high profile examples. Think back to the Irish champion stakes mm -hmm. last weekend. The, the um, camera angle from behind the field with St. Mark's Basilica taking Tarnara wider and wider and wider. And people are saying, well, should there have been the stewards inquiry there? Yeah. Is there a point at which every race is going to come under this scrutiny? But I think the thing that Roger touched upon, which is really important, is people are beginning to lose faith, beginning to lose confidence. We're not 100% certain what was going on. I mean, you must have presented hundreds of stewards inquiries over the years. You must have known that this isn't going to get thrown out or very, yeah. very rarely you saw something think, right, this is in trouble. But my certainty has been shaken by incidents like you've mentioned at Foslas, the two at Foslas, the one at Goodwood. And because we operate seemingly on precedent in terms of determining how the rules are applied, it feels that that, that certainty is no longer there. Do you feel, do you feel there has been, a, we're told there hasn't been a change? I feel as a punter, as Roger Charlton has said, you know, as, as Alex uh, saying, he and Martin Dixon, I'm sure you yourself, you know, you've watched lots of races. Surely you don't have certainty now when you see that there's a student inquiry. No, whatsoever. And I just think of the punter. If you back those horses at Foslas, you back those horses at Goodwood, would you be punting in confidence in the future with th those decisions that have taken place? Then you see what happens elsewhere on other days. Uncertainty and inconsistency. Uncertainty and inconsistency, the major issues with regards to those particular incidents. Now, we've seen a couple of horses representing Shadwell on the show so far uh, today. Shadwell operating now uh, with cutbacks in terms of numbers and at a, an elite level. Yeah, we, we knew this was coming, didn't we? That it couldn't continue at the level it was under Sheikh Hamdan Suja, but I still think it came as a shock. We, we don't actually know yet what substantial numbers mean, but I think we can take it. They sold eight at the July sale. There's going to be an awful lot going to the horses in training sale. We thought that would happen. We took that for granted. The broodmare band would be um, decreased. That's happening. We thought that would happen. But the yearling is going to the sales. That struck me as being the big news from this. They've never sold that. A handful a year might go. Mm through Devonstown or one or two of the other stubs. For Shadwell to be selling yearlings, not putting them into training, does ring alarm bells. And it does render the question, which will come out, I'm sure, in time. They're talking about competing at the elite level. That's very difficult to do. I mean, people have shown that over the years with yeah. breeding. Godolphin used to do it by buying horses. Shadwell clearly aren't going to be going out and buying top-end horses and racing the blue and white silks. How many horses a year are now going to go into training for Shadwell in Europe? And in America, what's the number? What's the number going to be? The impact is going to be felt by a number of yards, two or three in particular. People who work for Shadwell organisation. It just makes you realise how lucky we were to have had Sheikh Hamdan for all those years with that enormous yeah. passion, incredible investment he's put into the sport to build yeah. up. And this process had started while he was still alive. The Austral Australasian, South African arms, they'd been disbanded. There was a yeah. big dispersal sale for those. But it's those key questions now. What does 2022 look like for Shadwell in terms of horses in training, older horses and two-year-olds. And, and we still don't know uh, how this will affect, obviously, the trainers that currently have a large a number of uh, a large numbers supported by Shadwell. Jockeys, Dane O'Neill, Jim Crowley. I mean, there's no one. No one knows at the moment. No, the employees of Shadwell right now are the, are the people who've got the biggest questions. And there must be great uncertainty. I mean. The good news is we will still see the silks on the race course. I hope they do prosper in the future. Yeah, there's a, a more uncertainty. We talked about stewarding uncertainty, but there's certainly some uncertainty surrounding the future of Shadwell and the individuals uh, that are involved working for them. Uh, we know for certain that the career of Altior is at an end, and what a career it has been. Uh, 26 stars, 21 wins, well over a million pound in, in, in prize money. 
Where does he rank amongst the, the all-time two-mile greats for you? He was wonderful, wasn't he? I'd, I'd put him just behind Sprinter. I think the two of them in their peak, Sprinter would have just had a bit too much for Altior. But that 19-race within streak that he went on to win at four Cheltenham festivals, he's just been tremendous. And I think the thing with Altior that even in retirement, he was sparking Twitter, bait, Twitter debate galore. And that was the start of his career, wasn't it? Yeah. Everybody had an opinion on Altior. I know Nick felt it. Nick Luck felt it was too soon to pull up stumps that... They, they said he was fit and healthy in tip-top condition. I mean, Time Farm had him running to 162 in the celebration chase at Sandown. That's about 10, 12 pounds below peak Altior. Yeah. Was, was he capable of bridging that gap? Was there one more hurrah in him? I understand the owner's decision that one of the saddest sights in sport is the champions that go on too long, and yeah. that's in any sport. And th th To see him beaten at Sandown, to see him beaten at, at Kempton, yeah, that's not the Altior yeah. we remember. We remember him surging up that Cheltenham Hill, winning that Sky. I mean, that Skybet Supreme one was the probably the best novice hurdle yeah. run in to, to win four, and, and to win four times at the festival as well is some achievement. It was, wasn't it? And just and uh, as we've seen, just to get a horse to the Cheltenham Festival four times yeah. is one thing, and to to be capable of winning Grade One races as he did, and it was the way he won it. I always found it a bit like Big Bucks in the same hurdle vision, the flat spot, the moment yeah. of worry that you had until yeah. he engaged Top Gear. The way he used to devour the ground up the hill at Cheltenham under. Nico and you thought, yeah. oh, why did I ever doubt this? So, I mean, <laughs> two out, I thought it was beat, and here he is going seven, eight lengths clear. A wonderful yeah. horse, and yeah, there are one or two regrets. It was always the temptation, but they were going to try him up in trip. They did it the one time against Sernham. Oscar yeah. was Nicky, says it's his biggest regret with the horse. It served up a thrilling spectacle, but Nicky does regret that now. And yeah, he, they, he still had one or two questions to answer, but we will remember him as a great two mile chaser. Remember the four Cheltenham wins and that 19 race winning streak. Yeah. Uh, superb racehorse, Altior, as uh, Dave said. When uh, he went through the flat spot, it was inevitable what was going to happen most of the time uh, with Altior. Uh, we wish him a very happy retirement with Mick Fitzgerald. Uh, one trainer who is continuing to make waves in France, uh, Francis Henri Graffard. Uh, we've seen him come over to the UK. He's got an incredible strike rate when he comes over. And now he's got the patronage of His Highness the Aga Khan. Yeah, he's good, isn't he, Rishi? And this almost felt like an inevitable appointment in that he'd served apprenticeship with Alain Royer Dupre. He'd, he'd been there. He was sent his first Aga Khan yearlings in 2019. And now he takes, he retains his, his own yard, but he's taken over the private yard. Yeah. Uh, from his predecessor and what an opportunity this is. You look at the, we touched upon Shadwell there, the Aga Khan's bloodlines, the, yeah. the horse at his disposal. I mean, he's got some act to follow. I think it's 79 Group 1 winners, <laughs> his predecessor yeah. trained for the Aga Khan from there. And it's obviously in reduced numbers himself now in terms of the horses yeah. that they're in training. But he's earned this opportunity. I think it's one of the, these appointments, these successions where he's a guy who started out on the Dali um, Playing stars oh, yeah. um, scheme. I coached him. Did you really? So, yeah. what, what, what did you teach him, Richard? Was it the I don't patience really with know. I can't or? really remember. It was it was a, a, a tough day. I got through it, uh, but yeah, yeah, he was on it, and uh, we. It was a day spent talking about media training, and funny enough, uh, he said he wanted to be a, a racehorse trainer that day, and he wasn't that interested. I could tell he wasn't <laughs> sort of blanked me. Um, but he, he was single-minded on that day that I met him for the first time, that that's, that's the future, training racehorses, and he, he's, he's nailed it. And he has, and he's got that CV, he's had that time with Andre Farb as well, Jessica Harrington, Rishi Passad, he's got all the right names on the CV. It's, but he, he really does impress it, the way that he speaks to the media, his dealings with people, obviously learnt Beautiful. a lot from you. But, but <laughs> he's, he, he's a guy who's really earned this shot at this now. Yeah. It, it, it was, I felt from some way out it was his job, it was heading his way, and... Fingers crossed. The key now is he needs a good one in these first two or three crops, isn't it? When you take yeah. on a role, an opportunity like that, you need a, 
a group one heart. Yeah, I guess the encouraging thing for him and for anyone who's invested in him is the fact that you know when he's got a good one, he knows how to manage them and get the maximum out of them. So uh, as long as a good one comes along, he will he will no doubt get the best of uh, anything uh, that comes his way. Now, interesting topic, the next one. Uh, down under, there's been some uh, jockeys who've been rather naughty. Uh, I guess the most high profile of the jockeys who uh, broke COVID rules, Jamie Carr. Uh, she got a three-month ban along with other riders uh, for breaking COVID rules, but she picked up two extra months. Yeah, they, they felt she gave misleading evidence, uh, which she denies, and she's now taking action to try to get those two months quashed. And you bear in mind the severity of that punishment, the initial three months in itself, that ruled her out of the Spring Carnival, which is the ultimate yeah. uh, in Australia. And she's a superstar in Australia. She's the highest profile jockey. To break COVID rules and pick up a three-month ban, on the spot, bang, you are missing the carnival, yeah. sent out a clear message. The two months on top now, I think she's got. She's definitely appealing against, and she's denying she gave misleading evidence. It's clearly a very big story yeah. in Australia. And shows how clearly they're taking the yeah, the COVID protocols. I guess protocols. that's that's one of the things we'll talk about. That's worthy uh, of talking about is the severity of of bans in other jurisdictions uh, for whatever the offence is. In comparison to some of the offences uh, that jockeys get banned for over here, that may be deemed uh, worse uh, offences. Yeah, and I know exactly. We've just seen a um, young jockey six months suspension for a positive cocaine test. Now that's backdated. He can start riding again uh, next month, I believe, and pick up his career. We have got a pathway in the UK for jockeys who've fallen foul of drugs or to come back, re-establish themselves, and to be fair, in this this case is with John and Faisy Gosden. He couldn't be in a better place to be to be brought along. But where do you balance it? The failed drugs test breaking COVID regulations, once three months, once six months. I would say that in terms of the drugs offences over this country, six months seems to be the, the standard. It seems to be a six month ban for the failed yeah. test and then anything yeah. on top from there. So what, what do you think? Do you think it's harsh, one's harsh, one's? It's, it's, it is a hard one to equate to. I think when it's such different offences, yeah, it. it's hard to equate what a, a, a drugs ban is deserving of a comparison to breaking COVID rules. It's, yeah. it's very difficult to compare. Uh, even worse, in terms of uh, bans, suspensions, uh, involved um, young Thomas Mejia, who picked up a 10-year suspension and a $5,000 fine for using uh, an electrical uh, object, a buzzer, as, yeah. it is, as it's known. Uh, he, he won a race, came back, it, photographic evidence was presented, and I find this an extraordinary incident because I can't imagine he acted entirely without anyone knowing he was doing this, do you think? Uh, that's the thing, isn't it? And he did seem to hand it to somebody with, and it was taken away as he came back in. There's lots of questions to be answered here. I mean, it, it's a horrible thought that, that he was there with a, a, an implement to give the horse an electric shot, basically. Riding at a track where, where whip rules are now in place, where it can only be used for safety purposes, they're not yeah. allowed to use the whip in a finish. Now, there have been buzzer incidents in America in the past, two or three. They haven't been at tracks with the same stringent whip rules. So it has happened elsewhere when these haven't been in place. But you look at him, it's a 10-year ban, and with a recommendation that he doesn't get his licence back has been mm. being put forward. That looks the end of a career. And like you said, there are other questions to answer. Did he really pick that up off his own accord, take it out with him, and use it just off his own back on that one horse on that one occasion as just an ad hoc moment of madness. Is that what we're, we're led to believe? I can't, I, I can't imagine, I mean, being cynical, just speculating, I can't imagine that he's just acted 
in a unilateral manner. I'm guessing there must have been some sort of collusion along the way. I'm not accusing anyone, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, I guess the other thing as well is that considering how important horse welfare is at the moment, you can understand why authorities have come oh, down so hard on it. Without a shadow of a doubt. You think, I mean, it's so important everywhere, but you think in America, what they've been through with horse welfare. For this story to break, at a track where they've put the regulations in place to take this anti-whip stance at Monmouth, they've, they've put the things in place where you would not use it for safety, and for this to then happen here, I think the punishment was inevitably going to be very severe. Understandably so. Uh, the last topic in this week's Talking Points, it will become increasingly louder, particularly if William Buick can get a bit closer. I think he's about nine behind mm. once again after Sheen Murphy struck back. Uh, but it's still quite interesting because there's still that sliver of hope for Buick. It's really good, isn't it? And it's nice to be talking about jockeys in the positive, <laughs> but after the, some of the previous. But this is, this is a really good story. And I'm old enough to remember the Steve Cawthon Pat Edvy battle. You think back to Paul Hannigan and Richard Hughes. And these narratives can be so strong through the, the closing part of the season. Yeah. Now, it's different now. They can only ride at one meeting a day, which yeah. I think adds to the drama. Yeah. They're selecting their ride so carefully. Uh, William's got some ground to make up. I just hope it's decided on the race course by weight of winners. Not, not in the weighing room punch-up. Not weighing room uh. punch-up, no, or, or, or <laughs> more, more, more so a ban or two from somewhere. It would be nice if they were able to get a, a clear run through and see out. I mean, O'Sheen's got the momentum, he's got plenty of firepower behind him, but William's not going away, is he? And, and this mirrors the trainer championship as well. Now, I know that's decided on prize money, not number of winners, but we've got Andrew Balling and Charlie Appleby going toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Their jockeys yeah. battling out for the title. And it's really good in that O'Sheen and William have got two really good jockeys, really. I mean, O'Sheen's wonderful, isn't he, on social yeah. media. William talks so well in interviews yeah. and everything there. Two real high-profile guys going toe-for-toe. -toe. And it's wonderful when the jockey's title matters. I used to get so bored yeah. of seeing yeah. jockey. I'm not interested. No, it's not uh, for me. You're absolutely right. Yesterday, when I interviewed William Buick after he won on Solid Stone, and I thought I'd throw a question about the championship, because I guess they're bored sometimes. They get asked about it all the time. But I did say to him, obviously, he'd just beaten uh, Asheen Murphy narrowly and I said you know are you keeping an eye where Asheen Murphy is in every race and he, he laughed and he said yes Fantastic. you know it's true because it, it means a lot and it's nice to hear the honesty as opposed to the standard well you know I just want to ride winners and you know do, do my thing. I think you could see them both doing some incredible things in the, in the meetings ahead because yeah. they're going to have in-house rides that are very strong and if they've got the right agents picking the outside ones as well you could see some very big numbers from those. Charlie two. Appleby or Andrew Balding will end up as champion trainer question mark? I think Appleby, but I don't think there'll be much in it. Okay, well, that has been uh, this week's Talking Points. You've heard from the Hurricane Ivor <laughs> of pundits.